Good morning. Just a couple of announcements here before we get started. So community groups launch next Sunday, September 12th. So I'm really excited for that. If you are not in a group, stop at the Connect table immediately after this service, and there'll be someone at the Connect table and express your interest in getting plugged into a group. And then, um, and then I'll get that information and be reaching out to you this week to make sure that you uh, get plugged into a group. Um, additionally, the student group is also launching next week, and the students that are in middle school and in high school will meet upstairs in the office kind of foyer area. So if you're a middle school student, your group starts next week as well, and it's going to be during the Sunday service. And um, it's going to launch on the 12th, but then the rhythm is going to be a monthly rhythm of meeting the first Sunday uh, for the students, the first Sunday of every month during the service, okay? So groups launch next week. I'm really super excited about that. If you're not in a group again, please get connected to one. Uh, it's kind of like part of the DNA of our church, so make sure you get plugged in there. Men's Discipleship Gathering is tomorrow night uh, at 7.30 p.m., so that's tomorrow um, night, and that's just a time for the men in the church to come together to, um, to pray for each other, pray for our families, pray for our church, pray for the city, to sing songs together, to worship together, and just have a time of mutual edification and building up. So that's the men's meeting tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m. right here. Women meet the uh, third Sunday, or sorry, third Monday uh, each month, so, um, so that's going to be coming up in a, in a couple of weeks uh, but the men's meeting is tomorrow night. Uh, and then the last announcement is we need help. We need servants uh, in our kids' ministry, in our mercy ministry, in music, kind of across the board as a church. We need all the help that we can get. We've had a lot of people for a wide variety of reasons uh, either just get overwhelmed and have to step out or not be able to participate in this season as a church. And so we have a lot of vacancies, and it's affecting our ability to do the, a lot of the things that we want to do. Even this morning, uh, my phone was blowing up because uh, there was a, an announcement that went out via the, uh, the app that, hey, we're not doing our live streaming service. Uh, and people are like, hey, what's going on? And it's like, because I'm the one and the only one who's been kind of doing the live streaming service for the past you know, a couple of months, and so when I'm preaching, I also can't be back there. So it's right. So there's there's just a lack of servants, and it's inhibiting our ability to do uh, the ministry that we want. And so, uh, if you are not plugged into some kind of service team, please, please participate because we've got individuals who are part of like five different service teams, and they're already overwhelmed. And so, uh, please, please uh, join us in serving the rest of the church. Um, it's something that if you're, if you're a covenant member here at the Oaks, it's literally something that you sign on to as a covenant member of like, I'm going to serve and participate, right? So I'm, I'm begging you and asking you please to, uh, to take that, that uh, calling seriously and help us out here as a church. So those are our announcements here for this Sunday. And uh, we're transitioning now to um, our series that we're doing on rootedness. And so you can see, I promise next time when I do the graphic, the R is cut off. Next, next time for the next series, we'll, we'll calibrate that a little bit better. I made the graphic a little bit too big. But yeah, we're in rootedness, in roots, the broken, beautiful way of community. Um, and so last week, Pastor Matt talked about the pace of rootedness. If you remember that, it's, it's slow. There's a patience uh, that um, comes with the pace of rootedness. But this week, we are looking at the practice of rootedness. 
the practice of rootedness. And we are going to be in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And if you could, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word here this morning. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And it says, And they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So today, again, we're looking at the practices of the rooted church. And if we could, there's a, I think just a, I'm going to give, give you guys the practices on the front end here. So there's, a, I think, a graphic. Yeah, here's the practices of the rooted church. And these are pretty explicit in the text, as you guys will see. But we see gospel application, gathering together, and generous giving. Right? You guys saw that in the text, right? Uh, gospel application, gathering together, and generous uh, giving. And, and these answer the question of, what does the rooted church look like in practice? What does the rooted church look like in practice? And it's these three things. So what Acts 2 shows us is that no matter how a church fleshes out their unique identity and the time and place that God has them, these are the things that are going to be at the core, should be at the core of a rooted church, right? There's a lot of things that a church will do that isn't explicitly scriptural, right? We have an air-conditioned building, and this is, this is a good thing, but the Bible doesn't say that in order for a church to be rooted, thou shalt have an air-conditioned building with padded chairs, right? That's, that's not in the Bible. Uh, we have a band that helps facilitate the worship that we have here on Sundays, but there's nothing explicitly scriptural about that. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt have a band that leads worship on Sundays, right? There, that's not explicit. We have an amazing children's ministry, and that's a good thing as we cultivate our, our kids becoming disciples of Jesus, but there's nowhere in the scriptures that say that you have to have a dynamic uh, children's ministry. None of these things uh, are explicitly scriptural. They're not inherently wrong either, right? These are just simply the ways that we as a church are embodying our unique identity in the time and the place that God has us. But what are the core practices of a rooted church that should be universal for all churches in all times and all places, no matter what? And it's these three things, okay? So the first one is gospel application. Gospel application, and we see that in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the, to the apostles' teaching. Now, this has often been preached and understood 
as they were devoting themselves to the Scriptures. And that's true. Or that they were, um, they were devoting themselves to whatever the apostles were teaching and they were wrestling through those teachings. They were, they were students of the Word. They were wanting to become disciples of Jesus. And that's true, right? That's, all of that is true. However, it's not really granular enough. It's not focused in enough. So we have to ask the question, okay, what specifically were the disciples? What specifically were the apostles teaching? What teachings were they devoting themselves to? And then what does it mean to be devoted? Well, we know what the teaching was. We see this in Acts 1 and 2, the first parts of, the, of, the, of this book. We, we see the apostles proclaiming the gospel. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus was the Messiah who came and lived and died in your place so that you can be reconciled to God. It's not based on the works of the law, right? That Christ fulfilled the law on your behalf um, and died in your place. And so they, were be, so they were receiving the gospel from the apostles. The apostles were teaching the gospel. So then, does it just mean then that they were believing the gospel? Is that what it meant when it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that they were just, okay, yeah, we believe that? Well, not really, because if it was just merely they believed the gospel, then that's what the author of Acts would have written, that the apostles preached the gospel and that they received it and believed it. But that's not uh, what what it says here. Instead, it says that they were devoted. They were devoted to the gospel. And, and the, the language in the original Greek, this idea of devotion, is kind of an, act, an active word, uh, meaning that it was like a steadfast continuation. It's this idea of, of application. We are applying ourselves to carrying out and continuing on what the apostles are teaching, which is the gospel. So they were doing more than just declaring belief in the gospel. They were faithfully continuing gospel practice, gospel application. They were asking themselves the question, okay, if this is true, if what the apostles are teaching us is true about Jesus, this gospel is for real, then how does that then flow out in the rest of life? How do we therefore live in light of this truth? And this is an important distinction for us because I think that what happens oftentimes um, is uh, we fear saying, like, hey, you know, you should work towards your salvation, that it's, that it's a salvation of works. There, there's, a, there's a fear of that, right, in our, in our camp. Like, it's by, it's by grace alone, and that's true. But then we almost get paralyzed to then say, okay, and if you believe the gospel, that will therefore then lead to a changed life. It will lead to a difference, right? And so I think that we just, we sometimes have this language that's just, all you need to do is believe the gospel. Just believe the gospel, just believe the gospel, just believe the gospel. And that's true, but according to this text, what they were doing is not just believing the gospel, but they were wrestling with what does the gospel then call me to do? How do I view uh, the rest of life? How do we apply this? And what they realized, and, th and this is, as, as we'll get to here in a moment, this is just, this is common sense. 
um, it, that the gospel isn't something to just be internalized as belief, but it's something that if it's truly embedded, it must be expressed. The gospel has to be expressed if it's really taken root inside of our hearts. Um, so they were asking, like, how do we relate to the poor? How do we relate to the rich? How do we relate to orphans and to widows? And how do, we, how do I relate to my money and to my possessions? These are the things that they were asking themselves. Now, why is this a rooted practice? Why is it that the church throughout all of history is, is receiving the gospel in belief and saying it's, you know, it's not of anything that I have done, it's, it's faith in Christ alone, but now that I have received this, how do I then live a transformed life in light of the gospel? Why is that a rooted practice? And I think you actually inherently know why. You actually already know why, and it's this. True belief and true affection for something or someone requires action. I'll say it again, true belief and affection towards something or someone requires action, right? If I say I have a belief and affection towards my family, towards my kids, and then I, I, I declare that to be true, and then there's nothing in my life that reflects that reality, you would say, well, you might say these things, but I don't believe that you actually believe, right? Because your life isn't reflecting this. You might declare that you have a belief and affection for your family, but you're living your life opposite to that. Like, where's the proof? Where is the flowing out? Because we inherently know that if someone has a belief and affection towards something, the rest of their life is going to be reoriented towards demonstrating and expressing the love and affection and belief towards that thing, right? Show me, show me a couple who declares that they have a belief and love towards each other and then never, ever, ever express that out in action in their relationship, and I'll show you a couple that already is or is headed towards relational turmoil, Right? We, we know, we, this is just inherently true, we know this. You can't have a rooted marriage, a marriage that's rooted in intimacy in the absence of a belief and affection that's being actively worked out. Like, no duh, we know that. And you also can't have a church that says that they're rooted in the gospel and yet not actively working that out. That's what we're seeing here in this text. So it's common sense. It's them saying, how can, how can we claim to be rooted in the gospel of Christ and not have it change the way in which we live? So therefore, we're going to wrestle with these things. We're going to receive the gospel in belief, and then we're going to actively, with each other, get together, and we're going to flesh out and work out how this changes the way in which I view and relate to everything in my life. So that's the, that's the first core practice. The next one is... Gathering together. Gathering together, we see this in verses 42 and 46. Gathering together, 42 and 46. And, and we see a formal gathering and an informal gathering. So they're getting together kind of in a formal sense and in an informal sense. So in verse 42 it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together, formal, and breaking bread in their homes, informal. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. And again, this idea, this core practice that we see here in the early church is something that permeates the rest of the scriptures. All of the other churches carried on this core practice of gathering together. In Hebrews 10.25, in fact, it says, And let us not neglect meeting together, as some have made a habit, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day of his return drawing near. Or in Ephesians 5, um, the Apostle Paul exhorts the Ephesians to get together and to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together, to worship together. So this idea of Christians gathering together both formally and informally, it permeates all of Scripture. This is a core practice of the church. This is something that the church has done since day one. And this also makes sense, right? It's, it's, not, it's, it's not like it's a, a, this massive discovery for us here this morning. If we're going to be relationally rooted to people with a common purpose, you have to spend time with them, right? It's like obvious. You have to spend time with people if you're going to be rooted with someone. Like it's weird to me a little bit that there's this idea in America that I should be able to belong to a church, and I think people conceptualize the church as an organization or a building rather than a relational body. And so people have this idea of like, I can belong to a church and I don't want them to have any sort of expectation on me that I give my presence, my actual presence to the church. Like if I show up once or twice a year, like that's good, right? Like I'm good. And it's like, no, no. Like if you're going to walk in relationship with other people, it requires you to show up, to be present. This is obvious. Like we we have this expectation towards each other in all of our other relationships. Like how many people want to have a significant other that is completely absent, that is never present, right? Probably not unless it's a really dysfunctional, unhealthy relationship, right? In our relationships towards other people, we always have an expectation of your presence matters. Like I need you to show up. For, for us and for this relationship to, to function in a healthy way. And that's the New Testament posture towards the church. Like, this isn't just an organization. It's not a building. This is a relational covenant that we have towards each other. Your presence matters. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit has given you a unique perspective, unique spiritual gifts that you are called to, to give generously, to the rest of the church, to edify the rest of the church. And if you haven't done that, if, if, you, if you withdraw your presence, then you, you are withholding a gift of the Spirit towards the rest of the body. The rest of the body is missing something when you don't show up, okay? So the call for believers is to gather for a mutual edification and building up so that we can experience rootedness with God's people. It's part, part of this is a relational commitment. So it's not just a commitment then to gospel application, but it's also a commitment, a devotion to each other, right? They, they the church, and this is fascinating in verse 42 when it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? To, to the apostles' teaching. And we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like as a church, we should be devoted to 
gospel application. That makes sense to us. But then it says, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. It's like, it's really weird to me that it seems like the author is almost holding up these things as being equally important. As important as, we, as it is for us to flesh out the gospel and apply the gospel to our lives, they, he seems to be implying, it's, hey, it's equally important for you to get together formally and informally. That's just as important uh, for the church to flourish in rootedness. So this is a core practice, right? That is for our growth as disciples and, and for mutual growth in the broader, broader church. And then the last one is generous giving. Generous giving in verses 45 and 46. And in verse 45 it says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. And really what this is, this is the first gospel application that they came up with. As they were kind of examining and looking and saying, how do we live out the gospel in our lives? This is the first thing that they came up with, this idea of generous giving. And again, this core practice of the church permeates the rest of the New Testament and has permeated the church ever since. Century after century, the church has continued to try to be generous, to reach out to the poor, to have, uh, to have a posture of, of mercy and grace towards the least of these. The rooted church is marked by generous giving. I, I have food, you don't? Here, let me, let me help feed you. I can meet your need. Um, we see this throughout the New Testament. Right? True religion is to take care of orphans and widows. It's this idea, this principle of if you are in a position of need, I will give, even if that means that you can never, ever, ever repay that generosity. It's, it's even in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about in the final day, on the judgment day, how there's going to be the sheep, the true Christians, and the goats, the people that are not true Christians, but maybe we're posturing as Christians. And Jesus goes on to describe how do I differentiate between these two? What are the markers? What's, what's the difference between the sheep and the goats? And in Matthew 25, he's pretty explicit. He's like the, the true believers, the sheep, are those who saw needs and met them. Those who saw the hungry, those who saw the strangers, those who saw the prisoner, who saw the orphans, right? They saw the need and they stepped in and met those needs. And the goats, the, the, the fake Christians, Jesus says, are the ones that saw need and never responded. Never responded. So this idea of um, generous giving, a, a kind of generosity, this is part, this is a core practice, and it's part of the very fiber, the very DNA of a true rooted church. And by the way, this kind of generosity it is a radical generosity. It's, it was extreme. Like they were selling their, their, their land, their property, like everything they had and bringing it in to care for the poor. Like we, don't even, we can't even fathom the kind of generosity that they were engaged in. Like we tend to give out of our abundance. That's what we tend to do. Like I've got this and I'll, I'll give out of my abundance. Um, and listen, I do that too. I'm, I'm, like it... it 
hurts my conscience as well to read this. Like, I often give out of my abundance. Like, oh, cool, I get a raise. And then the first thing that we do when we get a hold of a little bit of money or we begin to, to have a little bit more profits in life is we scale our lifestyle, right? That's what we all do. Let's be real. Like, we scale our lifestyle, and then after we've scaled our lifestyle out of abundance, then, then, we, you know, then we're generous. And I'm convicted when I see this text because they had no way of scaling their lifestyle, so they just sold off their lifestyle, right? They just, they just let their lifestyle go so that they could enter into this extreme um, radical generosity. It's deeply convicting. So we have these three things, gospel application, gathering together, generous giving, okay? And my worry is that we look at these three things and actually, as a church, we, if we look at these three things as a church, we can probably say, cool, all right, the core practices of a rooted church, we do these things as a church, check, 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 right? Uh, gospel application, well, man, that's what we do. We do that here on Sunday, we do that in our groups, check that one off. Uh, gathering together, well, hey, we're all gathering together here today, check that box as well. Generous giving, like I give, okay, great, check that box off as well done, right? We can all go home and feel good about ourselves because we are meeting these core practices. Um, and my worry is, is that we, we, uh, we just view these as check boxes rather than these deep wells to be explored. Like these, these, these rabbit holes to dive into to see how deep uh, they go. Like the posture of these Christians, the, pos the posture of the Apostle Paul, the other uh, apostles, the posture of all of the New Testament seems to be how deep does the rabbit hole go? How, how much more can I lean into these realities, lean into these core practices? I was fleshing this out with, uh, with Pastor Matt and Pastor Clay this week, and I was like, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated here preaching this because for the very reason that I just talked about. Like, as a church, we can look at all three of these things and just say, check, check, check. We're done, right? Where, where, what is there for us to do now? If we just check these boxes, where is there to go? We've done these things. And uh, Pastor Matt reminded me of the text, uh, one of the texts that he read the first Sunday where we launched the Rooted series. And so I want to read it again because I think it's, it's profound and I think it's relevant to us uh, especially in this frame of mind where we just check, check, check those three things. So this is Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14 through 19. And uh, this is the Apostle Paul, and he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints, listen to this, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And Pastor Matt said, it's almost like the Apostle Paul is saying that if we were to give ourselves over to these core practices, not just as a check mark, but as a deep well that we just dive in and drink from and explore, it's almost like our knees would buckle 
we would fall to our knees as we came to this realization of God's love for us and for the mutual love that we had for each other. Like if we actually gave ourselves over to these things, not in a token way, but in a real transformable way, I'm not sure if that even came out right still, but if we did that, right, that our knees would buckle because we'd be so overwhelmed with the love that we were experiencing. Like, I'm content to say, check, check, check. Gospel application, gathering together, generous giving, okay. And Paul is like, no, you're viewing these things as a duty. You're viewing these things as a duty. And you're, and you're not saying, how can I go deeper? Let's illustrate it this way. Imagine if I said, hey, I am going to come up with three core practices as to how I can be more rooted in intimacy with my wife. Here's three, I'm going to come up with three core practices that, that we cling to so that we can be rooted in intimacy. And so the first one is we're going to have date nights because we need to spend time together. So we're going to have date nights. And you know what? We each have our mutual interests and we should be supportive of each other's interests. So yes, there's date nights, but then she's got her interests and I've got mine. So we should support each other in the, the things that we both enjoy. And then maybe the third one is, and then we should also have times where we get together in a more formal sense, and we plan out kind of a vision and life together, and we're constantly calibrating where we're going together as a couple. So these are the three things that we're going to do, okay? So these are my core practices. And then if you were to come to me and say, hey, uh, Pastor Eric, how's it going with those three core practices? If I said, great, man, I'm doing, I'm, you know, I'm doing all three. I'm doing all three. And they're like, well, that's great. Like, are you really experiencing like a rootedness, a kind of intimacy? And I was, yeah, you know what? I think I'm doing these three things, so therefore I'm experiencing a kind of intimacy. And, you know, tonight I have to go on a date, right? Did you pick that up? Like, if I was like, tonight, you know, tonight in order to be rooted in intimacy with my wife, we have to go on a date. You'd be like, have to go on a date? Like, that's kind of a weird way of, of approaching it, right? You would you'd say, no, you, you want to go on a date, right? You get to go on a date with your wife, right? Like that's the posture you should have towards these core practices that you've come up with to be rooted in intimacy. Like, yes, in one sense, I'm glad you're going on a date with your wife and you're going to be spending time together, but this posture of I have to do it versus I get to do it, I want to do it, that's a shift, right? The same same core practice with a totally different perspective and motivation. And I think that's like what I'm trying to say today. I think there's a way in which we can look at these, these core practices and say, these are the things that we have to do, right? Or we can say, these are the things that we get to do. These are the things that I want to do. I want to dive in. I want to plumb the depths of these things. And I actually think that you guys um, want to embrace being rooted together in community as a church. I think you guys want to, and we have as a church in large part, been done a good job with these core practices. But I, I can almost kind of like sense what's going through your heads, right, in a sermon like this. Many of you are probably looking at these core practices and saying, man, I would be all in, but I'm not a good enough Christian, I'm inadequate. I'm not a good enough Christian. Or, man, I'm busy and tired. 
Like, do you even know what the last year and a half, two years has done to me? I'm exhausted. I don't have time to be rooted in this way, to be all in. Like, I'm just barely surviving. I'm tired. Or I'm jaded. I've tried. I've tried to do these things. And, but relationship is messy. And I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot of people, a lot of relationships here, and so it's messy, and so I'm jaded. And I actually think these are legitimate, <laughs> legitimate excuses, in a sense, okay? Like, these could all be true. Every single one of these things could be and is probably true. Maybe you aren't a good Christian. Maybe you're totally inadequate. Like, I feel like all Christians kind of feel that way. Like, I have yet to meet the Christian that's like, I've got it figured out. Right? Every, every, I think pretty much every Christian I've ever spoken to, including pastors, are like, I'm, a ter- I'm terrible, I'm so bad at being a Christian, right? So that's kind of all of us. But maybe you are too busy. Maybe you're, maybe you're tired. Maybe you're jaded from messy, messy community. And here's what I would say. All the more reason to give ourselves over to these things. All the more reason. In your brokenness, in your brokenness, and in your humility, all the more reason to give ourselves over to these things. In Ephesians 3, the passage that Pastor Matt started this whole series off with, right after he talks about, hey, if you were to experience these things, you would fall to your knees, right? You would be overwhelmed with the sense of God's love. This is what he says in verse 20 of Ephesians 3. It's right after he says all of these things. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so this is what Paul understands. There is something beautiful. There's something that glorifies God and it's, it's, it's just, it's beautiful about God taking broken people, shattered lives, shattered, broken, sinful, tired, inadequate Christian people with a commitment to him and a commitment to each other and pouring out his power and life in them and seeing what happens. There's something beautiful in that. Like what if a bunch of broken, jaded, tired, inadequate Christians made a renewed commitment to pour ourselves into these core practices you know, towards God and towards each other? Gospel application, gathering together, generous giving. I think we'd begin to experience the love of the Father in a really, really, and the love of each other in a really, really profound way. So we're going to do a little exercise here. Everybody here to my right, to your left, everybody over here, I want you to look to this side. Look at all the people on this side. Just keep looking at them. And everybody over here, I want you to look at everybody over there. Okay? Look at them. Don't look at me. Look at each other. And, and just hear these words while you guys look at each other, okay? You need them. You need them. And I don't mean in like a codependent way. Keep looking at each other. I don't... <laughs> keep looking at each other. It's awkward. It's awkward. Like, it's good. You need them. And I don't mean in a codependent way. I mean in a formative way. In a formative way, you guys need each other. For our mutual formation in Christ, you guys need each other.
Okay, it's awkward. You can look back up here now. God has uniquely ordained and equipped the body to help form you into the image of Christ Jesus and then reflect the image of Jesus to each other in the outside world based on like how we are applying these things. Right? Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God is reflected in the way in which we are rooted in these practices. Okay? Um, I'm going to give you guys a closing illustration. This is, it, it almost borders on, it makes me a little uncomfortable to even read this illustration, um, but here's the idea behind it. The idea behind this illustration is this. When we are rooted in relationship with each other, in spite of the brokenness, in spite of the messiness, it reflects something to the outside world about who God is. It does. So this is the illustration. Richard Seltzer, MD, surgeon, wrote a book called Mortal Lessons, Notes on the Art of Surgery. I've used this illustration before. Richard Seltzer, MD, Mortal Lessons, Notes on the Art of Surgery, and he recounts this encounter with a couple uh, that has just gone through a traumatic experience. He says this, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face, her face post-operative. Her mouth is twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut a little nerve. Her husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in an evening lamplight, isolated from me in private. Who are they? I ask myself. He in this wry mouth that I have made, who gaze at each other so generously? The young woman speaks, Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say, it will it is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. Un unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked, broken mouth. And I'm so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. And all at once, I understand and know who he is, and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with God. That's profound. It borders on blasphemy, because that man isn't God. But you see what happens here, right? A couple relating to each other through the brokenness, it reflects something. It reflects a kind of glory that surpasses just our knowledge. And that is what we are invited into with these practices. That if we begin to live out these rooted practices, even in our brokenness, in our tiredness, in our exhaustion, in our inadequacy, we will reflect to each other and, into the, out, and to the outside world a kind of transformative love. Jesus prayed, this for, prayed for this kind of rootedness for us 
before he was arrested and crucified. He said, the glory that you have given me, he's praying to the Father, the glory that you, Father, have given to me, I give to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And then Jesus lays down his life for us so that we can be made right to God and to each other. On the night that Jesus was crucified, he took the bread with his disciples and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the wine and he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this is called communion. It's a time where we don't do this individually. We do this collectively, corporately. We come together to remind each other of the gospel and what Jesus has done, not just for me, but for all of us together. And so in a moment here, we're going to pray. The band is going to come forward. And uh, when you're ready, you can come forward and uh, take the communion. You can take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or juice as your conscience permits. Uh, there are also, if you would prefer not to touch any of that, there's also the little individual cups as well, okay? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for giving us the church to be rooted in practice, not just to you, but to each other. Father, it's hard. It's hard to be generous. It's hard to, um, to work out gospel implications with other sinners. Um, it's hard to gather together because relationship is messy. The church is messy. Father, I, I, um, I know, Father, we live in this, this time where people are deconstructing theology. That's okay. I'm not threatened by that, Father. And I don't care, really, in, in one sense, God. But, Father, I, my prayer is that when people look at the oaks, when they look at us, they may be able to deconstruct our theology, but, Lord, they, I pray that they wouldn't be able to deconstruct the way in which we love each other and are generous towards others. So, Father, I just pray that you would, you would answer Jesus' prayer, that you would bring us together perfectly as one, that we would be united and rooted together even in our brokenness. Father, we love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.